If you would turn in your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 21. John, chapter 21. We're going to be reading from a very familiar scene in the Gospels. We're looking at a, 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 an event that takes place well after Jesus is crucified, buried, and raised again from the dead. And the disciples, Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. Somebody say, I'm going to go fishing. And, and so he tells the other disciples, I'm going fishing. The other disciples decide to go with him. And so they're out on the sea, and they've been out there fishing all night. And uh, they catch zilch, zippo, nada, zero, not a single solitary guppy. And so Jesus comes and stands up on the beach. They don't even realize it's him. How you guys doing over there? Catch anything? Nah, man, we ain't got nothing. We've been out here all night long. Not a single thing. Oh. Try the other side of the boat. The other side of the boat? Is this guy serious? So they actually do what he says. Now, mind you, they still don't know it's Jesus. They put the net on the other side. They can't even pull the net in. There are so many fish. John the Beloved says, it's the master. And, Jesus, and, and Peter hops in the water, throws his clothing back on. He hops in the water, swims to shore, and he races to Jesus, realizing who it is. And so now Jesus and Peter are sitting on the beach having a conversation, and it goes a little something like this. We're going to start at verse 15. After breakfast... <clears throat> Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? This is a message Bible translation. Do you love me more than these? Yes, master. You know I love you. Feed my lambs. He then asked the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, master. You know I love you. Jesus said. Shepherd my sheep. Then he said it a third time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Jesus said, feed my sheep. 18 and 19. I'm telling you the very truth now. When you were young, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wished. But when you get old, you'll have to stretch out your hands like someone else while someone else dresses you and takes you where you don't want to go. He said this to hint at the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he commanded, follow me. The scripture just before that says that Peter kind of broke down and he was sad by the question of, do you love me? Not that he asked him, but that he asked him three times. Three times. This scripture is talking towards discipleship. Everybody say discipleship. Jesus knew that there would come a day when Peter would be responsible for guiding the church in the right direction. Amen? If you know that, say amen. Anybody here ever read the book of Acts? These are mostly familiar faces. So I know you've read some chunk of the Bible somewhere, somehow, some piece of it somewhere. Right? The book of Acts, Peter preaches the first gospel message 
and tells them to repent and be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of their sins, right? So it was Peter's job. Jesus knew that, G, that Peter would one day stand before people and preach the gospel. He would one day stand before believers in Christ and direct them towards a good life in Christ, towards living the right way. Amen? Somebody say the church. Somebody say that's me. Somebody say I'm the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ, but the scripture is filled with the symbolism that paints us as the sheep and, the, and as the lambs that Jesus was referring to in the scripture. The lambs, I believe, are the ones that are the newcomers in Christ. Amen? And the sheep are who? Those who are more mature. Who are the sheep? More mature. They may just know a little bit more than the lambs. Amen? Uh, if you would picture a lamb in Christ, you would picture uh, spiritually a baby in Christ, even though they may be 30, 40, 50, 60, 90 years old. Amen? As a matter of fact, just the other day in the bonfire, which, by the way, was an amazing service. It was incredible. We had four, young la- uh, four, four youth, one young man and three young ladies give their lives to the Lord on Friday night. Brother Nate was preaching fire. It was incredible. And they were all sitting. They were, there were four young ladies, and this young man was sitting on the side somewhere else. He had the whole row crying. The Holy Spirit was moving upon them and just tears flowing. All of them came up at the end at the altar call. They're now three days old. Three days old spiritually. Although they may be 16, 17, 19, they're three days old. Lambs, precious lambs. Why was Jesus having this discussion with Peter in the first place? Do you remember when Jesus came out of the court, when he was being judged by the Pharisees? And, uh, and Peter was standing out there with a crowd of people. And as Jesus was in there being judged and beaten, uh, charged with... Uh, heresy. Peter was standing outside next to a group of people and somebody said, Hey, I know you. You're that dude that was hanging out with Jesus. Nah, nah, nah. You're bugging, man. Leave me alone. Wasn't me. I'm not talking about Shaggy neither. And then somebody else came over and said, Hey, I know you. You're that guy that hung out with Jesus. You were one of his disciples. No! That was not me! You're talking about somebody else. Leave me alone. The third time, they said, you are that guy. I know it for a fact. And he became so enraged, he cursed. And he shouted back. And he denied the Lord three times. And then Jesus shows up on the scene, coming out of the courtroom. Sees his face. Peter breaks down. Just hours before that, they're sitting at the supper table. And Peter himself is saying, Jesus, there's no way. There's no way you're going to die. There's no way you're going to be buried. There's no way you're going to raise again. You're out of your mind, Jesus. I would never let that happen to you. The rest of these disciples, they may be suckers and turn on you, but I'm right there. And just a few hours later, I don't even know this guy. Leave me alone. What happened? 
Jesus was having this conversation with Peter because Jesus was well aware that Peter had a problem with understanding that love is a verb. It's an action word. It's not just something that you say with your lips. It's something you perform with your hands. It's something, it's somewhere that you go to with your feet. It's an action that you perform with your heart and with all that you are. My wife and I, we got married in 05. And uh, from there, I would, you know, on a, on a daily or weekly basis say to her, sweetheart, have I told you how much I love you? And for several years, we continued that little thing, and it was just kind of a cutesy thing. I know. Oh, so sweet. A few months ago, I kind of changed it up a little bit. And I started saying to her, sweetheart, have I shown you how much I love you today? Our, our relationship has gotten much deeper, much closer, much more emotional, much more tangible and beautiful. And so I'm starting to realize that Loving somebody means that you show them you love them, not just saying it. Because just saying it is not good enough. Amen? Now, that holds true in a marriage relationship, but it holds true in our relationship with the Lord as well. We can't just say that we love the Lord and then continue doing things that oppose what he expects of us. Amen? So in this conversation with Peter, Jesus says three times, you love me? And then he follows up with saying, feed my sheep. So he's telling him, show me you love me, dude, by taking care of my sheep. Who are the sheep? We are. Jesus needed to trust Peter with his church. It wasn't Peter's church. It's not even our church. It's not Pastor Victor's church or T.D. Jakes' church. It's Jesus' church. We are his church. And those who are in positions of leadership need to be trusted. Jesus needs to know that he can trust us. He needs to know that we love him enough to make sure that when we say we love him, that we will flesh it out. Amen? And Peter, he wanted to specifically make sure that he would feed his sheep, that he would feed the lambs. I would submit to you that it's even more important to feed the lambs and make sure that the lambs grow up normally and spiritually instead of abnormally. Amen? Uh, you see, Jesus had discussed this uh, before in the book of John, chapter 15. Right? He said to his disciples, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. Amen? That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, and this is a good one, that you love one another. Is that love word again? Loving one another. Love requires what? Action. He's talking about bearing fruit, fruit that remains, and he's commanding us so that we would love one another. As the church, we are commissioned to bear fruit. What does that mean? The symbolism of, of a tree bearing fruit is that uh, there's something else called the fruit of the Spirit, right? But there's also the fruit of multiplying yourself as a disciple. Everybody say multiply. Everybody say multiply myself. 
But the idea is that disciples multiply themselves. Fruit makes fruit that is from its own kind, its own seed, right? So in, in the principle of bearing fruit, we're supposed to multiply ourselves. And it's even more important that that fruit that we bear as Christians, when we multiply ourselves, the important part is that it remains. Amen? Everybody say, it needs to remain. It needs to stand the test of time. You don't have to repeat that part. It needs to stand in the midst of a trial. Our lambs need to be taught so that when they go through their trials and they go through their tribulations and they go through the situations where their friends are encouraging them to do the wrong thing, they can make the right decision because they've been mentored properly, because they've been taught. Amen? The fruit that we bear as Christians, when we're loving one another, when we're training one another, needs to remain. Amen? Say, say, somebody say amen. 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 Praise God. Is somebody awake up in here? What happens to a church with strong discipleship? It grows. It multiplies. People stick around. They stay away from the revolving door syndrome that we see in so many churches. I'm going to make somebody upset, but I'm going to say that's been our church for a little while. We've had an incredible amount of visitors come. Matter of fact, in, can you believe this? In the last seven days that I know of, we've had seven conversions. Seven? Six. Sorry. Last Sunday, there were two ladies, a mother and daughter. I believe they're here today, actually. I, I know I saw mom for sure. That gave their hearts to the Lord, surrendered their lives to Christ. And then just Friday night, we had four more. That's awesome. The question is, are they going to be here next year this time? Because that's where it really counts. Matter of fact, I'll tell you right now, if they're not here next year, it's not going to be their fault. It's going to be our fault. Man, somebody said it before me. So you already know where it's coming, where it's going, rather. We need discipleship. We don't need addition, right? Discipleship brings multiplication. I had a chart that I found um, that kind of outlined the, the idea of addition versus multiplication. And uh, it showed how multiplication moved pretty slow. It was kind of like one after six months, two, another six months, four, another six months, eight. And then on the other column, it had addition, where it was like one, six months, 300, a year, 500. But then after like the second and third year, there was a decline in numbers in the addition sign, whereas the multiplication side continued a steady growth. And, and this is in church attendance. This is in church membership. Addition doesn't work. Too many ch uh, churches are worried about getting people in the door and converting them, but then they don't want to disciple them. What's the problem? People become Christians, and then they go home. And then the young man who's been dating his girlfriend for the last three years who have been in a highly sexual relationship finds himself in a dilemma. And there's nobody to answer the question, what do I do now that I'm a Christian? She's asking me if I love her. 
And she's telling me that if I loved her, I would go over to her house now and take care of business. What do I do? If the church isn't there, if, if one of the sheep isn't there to answer that question and say, hey, this isn't the kind of relationship you need to be engaged in. God doesn't want you to do this. Tell her that you want to honor her and honor your relationship by working things out and eventually getting married and making it right. That's what the church needs to be doing. But in our nation, it's not happening. Why? And so you can already see where that little story is heading. This young man finds himself sinning again and then feels like he's betrayed God and he won't come back to church. I come across so many people that say that they've come to God, they've come to church, they've, they've given their life, they've surrendered, they've come to the Bible studies, they had a great time, but, you know, after about a year it kind of fizzled out. Why did that happen? Because he didn't have spiritual legs to stand on. Because when we come to Christ, we need a mentor. Somebody say, we need a mentor. Let me ask you a question. How many of you here today are willing to be a mentor? Rhetorical question. I'm going to let you marinate on that question a little while longer. Just chew on it. Everybody say, say la. I also want to present to you that group discipleship isn't enough. Coming to church on Sundays is not enough. I'm sorry. I don't care what anybody says. You know, pastor preaches, it's great. Ministers preach, it's great. Um, you know, as a newborn babe in Christ, we need to hear what's going on on Sundays. But it's not enough. Do you know why? It's a one-way dialogue. Because the newborn babe in Christ has questions that they need answers that are endemic to what they're going through. And pastor or whoever's preaching can't answer that question from the pulpit. They need a one-on-one, -on -one, somebody they can speak to that they can trust to give them the answers. Even a dude like Peter, who is incredibly impulsive and maybe sometimes even vulgar, the apostle Peter. But you know what? God can use those impulsive people because they'll immediately say, no, don't do that. God is not cool with that, man. Leave it alone. Yeah, God can use people like that. God can use me? But Tone, you don't know I'd be tripping, man. But you know what? God put that passion in, in there. And all you need to do is twist it so that he can use it for his glory. Amen? Am I preaching, Nate? All right. Praise God. Praise God. God knows also. Um, why, why is discipleship important to God? Because he's no, he knows we're not the only ones looking to disciple people. Amen? Jay-Z's making disciples. He's got, he's got kids walking around the city going like this. And all of the, Lady Gaga's got her little monsters. Right? The Home Shopping Network has their couch potatoes sitting there glued to the television because they can't move. Because if they do, they're going to miss that deal. Got to have that samurai sword set. <laughs> if I don't get it in my living room hanging up on the wall, I'm going to just die. Lord, please. I want the samurai swords. 1999. Can't beat them. Matter of fact, on the way here, Belinda and I saw this guy on a motorcycle in front of the, uh, the Chase Bank on Williams Ridge Road. 
and I've seen him before. He's a guy, he's about this tall. Very interesting looking guy. Motorcycle guy, right? And I've seen him before. I was standing on a street corner, I think it was last summer, and he's about this tall. He's got long, white, thick hair and a long, white beard, right? And he's got a big, round belly. Yeah, right? So I'm standing on a street corner waiting to cross the street, and this dude's on a bike with a black helmet, and it's a little Harley Roadster, and he's all covered in leather with the, with the boots and everything, and I'm standing there. There's a teenage kid standing beside me, and as he comes by on the motorcycle, <laughs> I look at him, and I'm like, what a strange-looking creature. And the kid turns to me. He goes, did you see Santa Claus? <laughs> True story. It was hysterical. I saw that same guy this morning, and he was in front of the bank, and he had his colors on today, right? I guess they're called colors, right, where you let, wear the leather vest, and you got the big patch on the back. Interestingly enough, today was the first time I saw this patch, and it actually says uh, Satan's Disciples Motorcycle Club, Bronx Chapter. And I thought to myself, wow. And it's such a weird thing, like, Santa Claus wearing a Satan's disciple back patch. But obviously he needs this thing, whatever it is. He needs to belong to something to give him security. Right? It's, it's a sign of something. It's an outward show of something that's happening on the inside intrinsically. Right? He needs this thing. And what, what do you think he's spreading the gospel of? He had to be well into his late 50s. I'm sure he has grandchildren. And he's stuck in the, in, the, in, the, in the lifestyle of a teenager with a patch on his back that says Satan's disciples. He's got his own disciples making more disciples, multiplying. What are we doing? Are we, are we asleep at the wheel? Are we playing church? Because that, that back patch should say God's disciples. I wish I had met him before he got into this gang and had the opportunity. Maybe I should have, you know, uh, clotheslined him off his bike last summer and <laughs> hit him with the gospel to try to prevent him joining this club. It's not too late. I'm going to go looking for that dude today. Hey, brother, I heard you were Satan's disciple. I'm God's disciple. I got something to share with you. Amen? I remember a young lady named Samantha when I was a teenager. I was uh, 16, 17 years old, and I was playing in a death metal band. And, you know, and I, I think I've, you've heard this story before where all of the sound, singing, you know, I, I purposefully wanted to sound like a demon, you know, all of the growling and the screaming and the... <laughs> literally, you think I'm, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. It's exactly what it sounded like, like the pit of hell to distorted guitar. Um, and so I was in this band, but I hadn't, you know, gotten into the occult and into Satanism yet. And I met this young lady uh, named Samantha. She was, you know, in her 20s. And, you know, she wanted to be the, uh, the manager for our band because we were playing gigs in the village and hanging out. And so, you know, I thought, well, you know, you want to be the manager? It's great. Saved me a lot of legwork. It'd be awesome. And so we started hanging out with her, going to her house and one day she pulled out a satanic Bible, right? These things actually exist, believe it or not. All you have to do is go to avon.com. They publish, publish the book. 
um, uh, this guy Anton LaVey, like this world-renowned Satanist who started the Black Mass Church, has his book published by Avon, believe it or not. I know it sounds crazy, but you can look it up yourself. She gave me this book, and it changed my life. Changed it. I didn't say it was for the better, but it changed my life. And that day, she made a disciple of me. There are people out there looking to make disciples. It's our job to get to them first. Amen? Somebody say, I'm going to make some disciples. Say, I'm going to catch them first. Matter of fact, I read an article um, recently that was just out of control. I I couldn't believe it. Uh, In Japan, in Japan, there's actually... Did you know that Jesus is buried in Japan? No, really. You can look it up yourself. Right? I went to uh, zedicateidh.org, and there's a, uh, there's a literal burial site where Jesus and his younger brother are buried. Right? And uh, I'll, I'll read you what it's all about. Here is a legend, as it can be read in Taurus brochures or be told by people there. Uh, when Jesus was 21 years old, he came to Japan and studied theology for 12 years. Zetiketidh.org. You can read it for yourself. I'm not making this up. I promise. Uh, he came back to Judea at the age of 32, uh, 33 to, in order to preach, but people there rejected his teachings and arrested him to crucify him. However, it was his little brother, Jesus Christ, who took his place and ended his life on the cross. Yeah. Jesus Christ, having escaped crucifixion, resumed his travels and finally came back to Japan, where he settled in this village, Hedai, and lived till the age of 106. I swear I'm not making this up. It's really there. In this holy place, the tomb on the right is dedicated to Jesus Christ, while the tomb on the left commemorates his brother, Jesus Christ. I I don't know what what that would sound like in Japanese. I'm trying here. All of this is written in Jesus Jesus Christ's testament. The site of the tomb of Jesus Christ, which has now become a public park, complete with gardens, parking, fountains, and even museums, is attracting every year some 10,000 visitors. If we don't catch them, there's plenty of people out there that want to grab them with absolute lies, untruth, doctrines of devils. There's all kinds of craziness out there, even in the name of Christianity, right? And I've said this before to you guys that, you know, the easiest way to dupe somebody is to mingle a little bit of truth with a little bit of lie. And that's all you need to do is corrupt the truth just a little bit and it'll lead a person straight to hell and eternal damnation. Am I telling the truth? Am I lying? All right. Amen. Praise God. How does the world want us to perceive Jesus? What are people being discipled to think about Jesus? Can I get that first picture? Is a JPEG 
that I, I literally Googled Jesus and looked through some images. This is what some of the people in the world think about Jesus. Obviously, you know, there are, there are people in the name of Christianity that promote certain things and, you know, guns and, you know, their lifestyle and this and that. And this is what they want people to think about Jesus. Or this is what people perceive him to be because of the people that are calling themselves father, uh, followers of Jesus Christ, disciples. Let's get the next one. out of control man now as the real deal we want to make sure that people are getting an accurate depiction of who Jesus is and what he's done for them amen amen all right can we get that third and final slide please there are people out there that want to make other people think that Jesus was an alien and that he came to earth and the reason he could do what he did was because he had alien mystical powers What's going on, man? And this is this is real because you know I used to I used to watch the History Channel a lot, and there were like these these entire programs dedicated to proving that Jesus had come from outer space, and that uh, what was another one, the chariot that took the prophet away was actually a spaceship. It's out there. That's what people want. Peop- that's what people want to disciple people with, or lambs even. Right, So, you know, a lamb might come to church, surrender his life to Christ. A few days old in the Lord, they don't get a phone call from anybody at the church. There's nobody there to kind of pick them up and teach them the right way. So they go looking. They go searching on the Internet. Or they ask a buddy who, who they know is a little bit smarter than them. And they get led to what was on the screen a moment ago. Is that right? Hmm. Are we sleeping at the wheel? This is why discipleship is important to God. Somebody say discipleship is important. Hallelujah. And, and I'll tell you the truth. I know that discipleship is rough. It's not easy. It'll cost you something. Somebody say, it'll cost me something. You need patience. You need long-suffering. You definitely need to pray for wisdom. It takes time. It may even sometimes may be a little bit, a little bit inconvenient because lambs aren't easy. You know, remember that I think it was Prophet Leal. He came and he said, uh, you know, the problem with, with Christians is that we're all dumb sheep. <laughs> and I'm sorry. You know, it, it, he said it. I didn't. I'm, I'm just reiterating or just saying what he said, so don't mess me me up. But he said that the problem with Christians is that most of them are dumb sheep. And what happens is we fall into these dumb traps that the Word of God warns us about, right? We don't want to listen to God. I mean, there's a whole, the whole Old Testament shows how the Hebrews, the original people of God, just blew it over and over and over again. The definition for, if you, if you, the one definition for insanity can be that insanity is when you do the same thing over and over and over and expect a different result every time. And you keep doing the same exact thing over and over. 
And they just continued to go away from God. Well, sometimes in the New Testament church, we can follow that similar pattern. Amen? Lambs will definitely follow that same pattern if they don't have a mentor. If they don't have somebody to stop them and intervene and teach them. But I want to remind you that you're not doing it alone. If you choose to mentor somebody, your job is only about maybe 40% of what's going to take place. The other 60% is Holy Spirit. Somebody say Holy Spirit. Somebody say he's going to do the rest. I can't do his job. Uh, matter of fact, in the church we have too many people that don't pray enough, don't get the Holy Spirit involved, and they want to do the job of the Holy Spirit. Right? Your hair's not long enough. Your skirt's not long enough. Uh, you didn't mention Jesus enough times in your conversation with that person at the store. Uh, your sleeves aren't long enough. Your Bible's not big enough. That's why I got this really big one. No, I'm joking. Let the Holy Spirit do the convicting. Right? If you choose to mentor, when you choose to mentor, so everybody say when. Because you know what? You're going to see a lot of new faces in this church by the end of the summer. Six in one week. That's one for every day except for today. Six in one week. Everybody say six in one week. Nate, say that's impressive. Say it louder. But if we're not careful, they'll be gone. That whole doctrine of uh, once saved, always saved, that's a lie from the pit of hell. I don't care what you say. I don't care what anybody says. It's a lie from the pit of hell. And it's a doctrine that's preached in the world today. You know, you've heard some of it. It's a doctrine of devils. It's absolutely not true. David, the guy that God says was a friend of his, a friend of God, considered him a friend, he said, my soul is continually in my hands. I want to remind us today that our soul is continually in our hands. Which direction it goes is up to us. God's grace and salvation is always there, always attainable, 24-7. But we can say no thank you if we wanted to. Amen. And for lambs, they're so fragile and so small, they need to be taught. Because that's a, that decision can be made for them. And they won't even realize it. Amen? If you love me, feed my lambs. Amen? The cost of discipleship. Let's go to uh, that last scripture that I have. Here we go. Now what happened is they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another one also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. I pay attention to 62. It's very important. And Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. That's why 
Discipleship is important to God. Amen? It would be a tragedy for someone to have given their life to the Lord only to find themselves in a backslidden state the day that the trumpet sounds, the day that the dead are raised in Christ and the rest of us are caught up in the air with Him, transfigured and to be made like Christ. Anybody know what I'm talking about? What event that is? Shout it if you know it. One, two, three. It would be terrible for someone to have given their life at Calvary Christian Fellowship to the Lord and then find themselves in a backslidden state because they weren't mentored or discipled. And then the trumpet sounded. (gasps) It's too late. The scripture teaches us, we find in, in, uh, I believe, Revelation, where it says, every man shall be judged according to the deeds that are done in his body on that day of judgment. Peter, at the end of, uh, I believe it's 2 Peter, the last chapter said something like, um, judgment begins at the house of God. And if it begins with us, then where shall the unsaved fall? What about them? Peter stood on the beach after breakfast with Jesus. And it's funny, he's such a goofball, Peter. He's so impulsive and he's got so many issues. He's a lot like me, actually. And Nate. And you. Who's that, Latasha? All right, let's be honest. Come on. Let's get all the dirt out, ladies and gentlemen. And, and he actually says to the Lord, the Lord had uh, explained, he gave him kind of a snapshot into the, into the way he was going to die at the end of that verse in uh, John 21. And he says, you know, you spent your youth uh, clothing yourself and doing what you want, but there's coming a day when you are going to have your decisions made for you and somebody else is going to address you. And as he was explaining that, it explains literally that he was, going, he was giving him an, uh, a, a little glimpse of what his death was going to be like. Uh, who knows how Peter died? He was crucified upside down because he felt himself unworthy to be crucified the same way as Jesus. And I believe Jesus gave him a glimpse, uh, just a glimpse of it that day. Because Peter died many years later. Um, and so as he says this, Pete starts looking around and he looks at John, the beloved, the one that the scripture says was always with his head on Jesus' chest. I, I, I can assume that Peter thought that John was like the favorite, right? The goody-goody. The suck-up. <laughs> And he literally asked Jesus, well, Lord, what's going to happen to him then? (laughs) Pete, what's wrong with you, man? Why are you worried about this dude? He must have thought, man, if that's going to happen to me, I hope at least he gets the same, you know? But I digress. (laughs) It's just a funny thing in the scripture. But I want to let you know, again, that there are going to be a lot of people here New faces, new converts. Amen? Because I know what I'm saying right now is a very exciting thing for our church. I know that, the, that we're ready to bust out of the seams. I can see it already. They're not physically here, but I can see it right now. We're going to be busting out of the seams. And many of us, nay, all of us, need to make a choice. Are we going to 
sit aside and allow these lambs to fend for themselves? Or are we going to take somebody under our wing and mentor them and get on the phone with them once or twice a week and answer the difficult questions that they come up with? Are we willing to extend ourselves, give some of our time, give some of our resource, give some of our energy to somebody who just came to the Lord that doesn't know squat? Now, you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, man, I'm not a teacher. You don't have to be a teacher. We read in John 15, Jesus said, I chose you and appointed you. I'll extend that by one more word and say that you are also qualified. What qualifies you? The fact that you were once a lamb and now you are a sheep. So you're just a little further along. So it doesn't matter what you think you know. What matters is what this lamb doesn't know. And if you can't answer questions right then and there, hang up the phone or say, listen, I'll get back to you. Call somebody else that knows a little bit more than you. Get the answer and get back to them. It's not rocket science. But you know what? We're going to have a lot of lambs here that, that are going to need mentors. You know what we need to do? We need to start praying as of now before the end of the summer. Lord, direct me to the one. If some of you can handle two, that'd be awesome. I know I probably can't. Because lambs are not, you know, that whole process is not fun. A few years ago, I had two young men that I was working with, Lee Falcon and uh, David Gross. And interesting story, real quick. These two young, young men saw me playing guitar one day, right? And I had my own band that I traveled with and I played. I, I recorded a CD, did well. And so these guys saw me play. Um, two different places, two different uh, chances or whatever you call it. And they thought I was cool because of the way I played guitar. No clue why. I personally think I suck. But they wanted to tap into me. They wanted to get next to me. Oh, wow, a Christian guitarist who knows a little bit more than I do. And so I just started hanging out with them. And then they would have questions about the Lord and my life and how I came to the Lord. And I didn't pull out the Bible every time we had a discussion. A lot of times we just talk about ice cream and guitar strings and how to hold your guitar pick, things like that. But over the course of about a year, we had shared a lot of time together. And it wasn't easy for me because I had just had my daughter. And at the time also, Belinda was pregnant with my, uh, no, we, I had just had my daughter. Belinda was still working full time. I was working full time. And so I didn't have a whole lot of time to hang out with these guys. But I, I did all kinds of stuff. I, I went into their house and played Halo with them. I got to like the game very much. <laughs> but that's beside the point. I spent a lot of time with them. After the course of a year, uh, Lee became the elected youth president at his church. And, and, um, and David started a life group for, his, for the youth of his church. Now, I really, I didn't you know, say, listen, you need to start a life group. I didn't say, listen, you need to try to become the youth president of your church. I didn't, you know, force them to do anything. I hung out with them, taught him how to play guitar, and shared just what God had done in my life. I never went theological on them. I never broke out the Bible and said, thus saith the Lord of hosts, I prophesy over your life that you shall be youth president of your church. No, none of that happened. It didn't go down like that. Now I want you to think about your life and think about the wonderful things that God has brought you through that you could share and impart into a lamb.
If we love him, we will put action to our words. Amen? I challenge you today. There may be even somebody here today that the Lord is causing your heart to gravitate to. That you feel like you want to spend time with them, that you want to share with them. That you can see that there are some things that they're going through that you know a little something about that you can bring them through. I encourage you, go for it, man. You don't need a doctorate. You don't need to be a teacher. You don't have to have the gift of teaching or preaching or event. You have to be a disciple. Who's a disciple here? Raise your hand. There's a lot of disciples here. You're all qualified. I said you're all qualified. I said you're all appointed. You're all chosen. Be a mentor. By the end of the summer, we're going to need some. <laughs>